Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Good morning, Roshi. How are you today? Just just one second. I got to finish writing this check for my mortgage payment. And uh, let me see. I, I got to pick up my daughter at school in, a, in about 45 minutes. So let's go fast. Go. I thought you were above all that. I thought you had attained, I don't want to say enlightenment because you're not there yet, but I thought you'd attained a certain level of not needing to deal with the real things in the world. Yes, I'm, I'm a celibate monk, which amazes me. My daughter must have appeared through immaculate conception, <laughs> I, I suppose, something like that. Yeah. That's our subject today, is how can we be monks out in the world? Why do most Buddhists on the Asian continent look askance at the Japanese who are married with kids? And uh, what would the Buddha think about it all? I think first we need to talk about the word monk, because it's not really a word that that transfers easily from Japanese to Western languages. We're using basically Christian vocabulary, aren't we, when we talk about Zen monks and Zen priests? That is exactly right. And people often use the word priest or monk uh, for Japanese uh, Zen and other Buddhist clergy. And it, it kind of fits, but it doesn't really fit. So let's spend a minute to talk about why it fits or doesn't fit, and what the missionaries did way back, the Christian missionaries. Okay, but you already started by saying clergy. Does that, is that equivalent between the Japanese idea and the Western idea? You know, that, 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 I don't, I, that, let, let's just say yes. I don't, let's just okay. say yes. For, okay, but let's get into what the missionaries did. So the missionaries show up in Asia, and they encounter these folks who look kind of like church people, they kind of resemble, even in dress, the, 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 the folks from the Vatican, many of whom were, were the missionaries coming. And they started to translate things. And uh, the words they use that we've still inherited are basically, well, it was probably first Italian or something, but basically in English, it has now become monk and priest, which really is not the words that the Japanese and Chinese use to describe themselves. We'll talk about that in a second. But on the other hand, they're, they're actually, they're not terrible words, you know. Uh, they actually kind of fit, so I'm not that much of a critic of them. Ask me why they fit. Well, before I ask you why they fit, when we think of a monk, we think of someone who's isolated in a monastery. And while that can be part of Zen training, it's not what happens through life. I mean, I, I've met people who are Zen monks in my life in many occasions who say, yes, I'm a Zen monk. And you scratch your head and think, what does that mean? Well, that, that's exactly right. But there, there is a time, it, it depends on, on the particular uh, training person, but they may spend uh, as little as six months or a few years in a monastery, hopefully being celibate while in the monastery, footnote, I have seen a couple of those monks when I was there sneak their girlfriends in the back. But that's, <laughs> you know, it was a long retreat. I, I didn't say anything happened, but they, you know, they, they did touch base a little. 
back there. But yeah. anyway, they're supposed to be living the celibate life in a monastic-like setting, very much resembling the monasteries of Europe. Monk is not a bad word. Okay. And, and neither is priest. Because? When they leave the monastery, 99.8% of the Japanese Buddhist clergy set up or, or, or inherit or uh, uh, run uh, a uh, what's equivalent of the parish church, a, a local temple, in which they do what a priest does, which is to do ceremonies to kind of make harmony with the heavens and appease the spirits mm-hmm. and make sure grandpa's... Uh, the, are your late grandfather's uh, spirit or soul? And by the way, it's very ambiguous here whether he has a spirit or soul in, Bo- in Japanese yeah. Buddhism. But basically, yes, his spirit or soul goes happily into the next world. So that's what a priest does. And so priest is not a bad word either. The problem is in the West, you know, it really doesn't apply. We're not living in monasteries. Most of us are not doing funerals or big services. We're teaching zazen. So both words really not so good for us Westerners, I think, you know. So what are the Japanese terms? Yeah, the, the ones I really love, the proper ones, one is sorio. Sorio literally means sangha companion. The sangha is the community, the Buddhist community, and they're companions of the community and of each other. So a, the, the, a priest is called a companion of the sangha, a companion of the community. It's a beautiful term. And a... Uh, a t- kind of like a fellow traveler? Yeah, you, that, that's the one, you know, J. Edgar Hoover is going to, you got to call the FBI. Uh, <laughs> no, not a fellow traveler. But there is a similar word, which is a zenchishki for a teacher. That sounds Yiddish. Uh, yeah, a zenchishki, it's a little chishki. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a zenchishki is a... Uh, a wise, good friend along the way. Hmm. Your friend along the way, right? It's a lovely term. It's very equal, right? The the friend is not above you so much. He's your friend. He's your, and your companion too, right? Helps you. So what about the word for a Zen monk? Well, Zen monk in training uh, uh, is an unswe. And that means? Clouds and water. Clouds and water. That's wonderfully poetic. It is. Zen is, you, you may have noticed, very good with a lot of poetry in there. Yeah. Uh, they float through life and their training as easy as clouds through the sky and water is flowing in the waterfall, right? Clouds and water. Beautiful term. So you said a Zen monk in training. Is there a Zen monk who's finished training or do they immediately become a Zen priest when they've finished training? Well, this is the crazy thing about modern Zen Buddhism. As you know, most of the young monks these days are inheriting the family temple from dad. So they've been kind of training or even ordained, sometimes as young, I think six, seven, eight years old, they can technically get their ordination, right? And uh, it's really cute. They get a little rock suit and they get the little robe and, you know, everything. (laughs) They get their, you know, little incense sticks. It's, It's very cute. And they train with dad, and then when they become teenagers, then they go to the monastery for a while. But as part of that, they get Dharma transmission, recognized as full priests and teachers, kind of pro forma, really easy, I want to say, just kind of expected, because they're going to inherit the temple. They're not all suddenly enlightened. Right. They're basically, they're graduating, they're going to take over the temple, here's your robe, here's your certificate, 
and uh, there's your Dharma transmission. So that's the state uh, in Japan right now. So you said Dharma transmission. That's when a teacher gives a student the right to teach, correct? To teach, though, most of the priests in Japan are not actually functioning as teachers. They're functioning as a parish priest. Right. Like I said, doing ceremonies. So I would say it's, it's when someone basically can be uh, an independent, full-fledged uh, guy. But there are ranks above that, too, in the... The, the Soto Zen, it also resembles the, the Catholic Church, Rinzai too. It, it's a big institution like the Vatican. There are all kinds of ranks. You got your bishops, your cardinals, your monsignors. I don't know. It's all in there. And uh, I, don't, I don't mess with any of that. And in the West, most of us don't either. Except there's no Pope. There is a Pope. And my grandfather was the Pope of Sotoshu. Really? My Dharma grandfather. Oh, your Dharma grandfather. The Ishijima Roshi's teacher. Yes. Okay. Not my, but not my actual grandfather, yeah, Marty. Yeah, I was wondering there. In Miami. No, no, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> no, Nishijima Roshi, my teacher's teacher, was the abbot of Eheji, Dogen's Monastery. Right. He was a big shot. He was a, he was a, a, a big maka, as they say, uh, you know, a, a big uh, a, a VIP. And he was basically the head of the Sotoshu. It's not like he was infallible or anything. They just need a head. But yeah. he was the guy. Yeah, he was the head of the church. And who was this? What was his name? Rempo Niwa Zinji. You can put a link. He's got uh, some beautiful portrait. He's got fantastic. You want robes, man. He's got robes, boy, golden robes. And they're sitting there with a beautiful, looks like, uh, he looks like the Pope. So the reason we're talking about this today, we want to talk about ordination because Tree Leaf is ordaining a number of new unsways, so trainees. Tell us about what ordination means. You, you're talking about a kid six years old gets the, gets the little robes and gets ordained. That sounds like it's just, you know, like getting a birthday present. I think it's a little bit more serious here. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm not ordaining any six-year-old. Thank you very much. No, good. Uh, okay. Most of our guys. No, actually, most of our priests, I think our oldest is in his 80s, and, and our youngest is uh, probably pushing 30, uh, late 20s maybe, uh, and most of the folks are in between. But we're breaking, again, we're, we're breaking history. I don't know how else to describe it. We are breaking all tradition. We're going to discuss later that the big scandal in Japan is that the priests marry, right? Yeah. And they have kids. Yeah. Right? That is unknown on the continent. Uh, the continent, the monks are supposed to be celibate in Thailand, in China, right? No sexy. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no sexy, no kitty. You know? Just like that. But the Japanese, for about 150 years, openly, prob probably longer before that, uh, have been marrying uh, uh, officially. They probably were unofficially doing it before that and having kids. And that's a great thing to me because at first it was meant to weaken the Japanese church by having the monks marry. But it actually, I think it strengthened them. Okay? So anyway, a good thing. Monks marrying. I'm married. Great. But what we're doing at Tree Leaf is even more groundbreaking than that, because most of our folks have disabilities or other serious life obstacles. Sometimes they're just incredibly committed people who have a calling to be priests, who have been practicing, all of them have been practicing Zen for about 10 years or more. They are serious Soto Zen students dedicated to the way. But they cannot go to monastery. Yeah. Maybe they do have kids and a wife. You can't just, hey, dear, I'll be back in two years. I'm going off to the monastery, you know? 
You can't do it. Right. If you have a mortgage to pay, you can't stop work and go hang out in a monastery and sit zazen. Right. So I took the next leap and I said, if you are showing the proper commitment and you're willing to stay with our program, our program's not overnight. It takes a few years, too, to get through the training. But you can do it with your other life, your work and your family, putting it all together. If you do that, I will ordain you. And some of them have received Dharma transmission and become independent teachers. But it doesn't happen overnight. Most of our independent teachers have been practicing in the training for at least five years. It's not, this is not, you don't get a, a, a diploma in the Cracker Jack box here. You remember Cracker Jacks or is that too old a reference? These yeah. Days? yeah, yeah. You used to get yeah. the little prizes it's, in the box. Yeah. Yeah. So these are serious folks and I train them and it's scandalous because even the, the, for example, San Francisco Zen Center, they do not like what we do. You know, they have, it takes years, they have procedures, you have to go to Tassajara and the other monasteries for a long time. They're not crazy about tree leaf doing this. But I'm telling you, for disabled people, we have people who can't get out of bed. It's a beautiful thing. How much does this cost? Nothing. Nothing? Postage. Not postage, but what I mean is, for example, <laughs> uh, no, nothing. Right. I, at one point, uh, they, they sew their own robe, so they have to buy the cloth for the robe. Right. Things like that. Right. But they're not paying you or Tree Leaf. Oh, no, 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 no. I should pay them. In Japan, do the monks have to pay the monastery? Yeah, but it's not like, it's just the economics of the thing. It, you know what it takes to run a monastery? It's a wooden building. You got gardens, you got a kitchen, you need food, right? You know, the overhead is terrible. So they're paying for room and board. Well, and you got the institution. It's a big church, and someone's got to, uh, you know, keep it going. And, and to be honest, if you have monks who are married with kids, and the kids grow up, and they need shoes, and then they need to go to college, mm. you need to pay for that too. And most of the, those monks are paying by doing funerals, right? And then they do the funerals, and some of the money goes to pay for the food and the the kids' college. But then you got to kick back to the church too. The church gets a percentage, you know. Yeah, it's a big institution. I'm I'm very fortunate. Uh, our place, we don't have to charge. Okay. So, what's the process then? You said that these are students who've been studying for a long time who are committed. How does one go from being committed to becoming ordained? Yeah, a lot of us should be committed in an institution <laughs> for wanting to do this. This is exactly right. We're really all an eccentric bunch. What happens is I get I get people almost every day who write me and say things like, I just discovered Zen today. Where do I become a monk? <laughs> or I've always wanted to be a monk. Uh, you know, how do I do it? And I tell 90% of them, you know, uh, I'm sorry that we're not for that. But then I get the guy who said, look, I've been practicing 15 years. I got a calling. I got no place to go. There's kind of a glass ceiling. But you, I got proof here. People know me. I've been sitting day in, day out. I've been a member of this group. These teachers can speak highly of me. I say, for you, I'll consider. So there's an application. They fill it out. They tell me their story. Then we wait a year, at least. Now, if they've been part of Tree Leaf for five years, I already know them. Mm. I'm talking about these people who come and say, I, I've been, I don't know you, but I'm a committed pra practitioner. I still say, we wait a year because I want to know you. And we did that with this first class. And we did not accept everybody after the year. As the year progressed, I told uh, someone, you know, why don't you wait a little longer? Let's discuss it again. I don't think the time is right. But the other people turned out to be fantastic. Just what we thought. They, they know this way. They love this way. They're dedicated. 
and we're going to have our ordination for them uh, after uh, uh, they've been part of the Sangha now for about a year and a half, and then we're ready for ordination in a couple of weeks. How did it work with you when Gudo Nishijima ordained you? Uh, I had been practicing Zen at that point for already 25 years. I knew Nishijima Roshi. Uh, I went to his classes. He did not have a monastery. He had a little residential facility. I spent some time there. I translated, I helped him with translation of some of his books, and I just knew the man. Hmm. Uh, our, our program's a little different, because after they get ordained, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. Sure. And we have monthly lessons. They have to learn our history. They have to learn some things about doctrine. You know, we're way beyond words and letters, but you got to read the books first before you burn them. <laughs> you know, I don't want people. My, my joke is if a guy comes to and says, uh, uh, would you tell me about the Dharmakaya? The, you don't think it's like uh, Indian curry for the restaurant. You know, what's the Dharmakaya? It's a, it's a, it's a technical term in Buddhism. You got to right. know this stuff. So we, right. they learn to do a little bit about ceremony. And uh, it takes many years before I even consider them to, to, to turn them loose. If you look back in the past, so someone who would be studying in a monastery, they would have access to a handful of texts, right? They wouldn't really, like I'm looking again, like every time I see the wall of books behind you and all these books, and no one, go back a couple hundred years, had access to any of that. Yet today, we're expecting people to read not all those books in your bookcases, but quite a few books and understand quite a few things. So today's monks and priests probably know a lot more than those of a few hundred years ago. In some ways, I think the training is better now than it was in Dogen's time, maybe the Buddhist time. And I'll give you a few reasons. They lived in very narrow, superstitious world, right? They didn't know what was over the horizon. The world was flat, and then you drop off the end. Now they have a sense of the world, how the universe works, even a little bit of human psychology. People are, are more, shall we say, worldly in a good sense. Mm, yeah. They know more about Buddhism because there is information just on this internet thing, reliable yes. information. You can access anything. You can get teachers. In the, my joke was, you know, in the old days in the monastery, Dogen probably read Shobogenzo without a sound system. The guy in the cheap seats in the back row, he probably <laughs> had no idea what he was saying. You know, and with the Shobogenzo... If you don't stop it and start it and go back like you can with a YouTube, you got to go and read through the thing. You go, what? Hey, what was he saying? I am. Nobody <laughs> knew. Nobody. Let's face it. Nobody knew what he was talking. So it is better now. But that's interesting because they were more focused on Zazen, right? That's good. That's the good part. They weren't focusing on reading and thinking and learning and memorizing. They were focusing on the non-doing of the doing. So what do we do to make up for that fact? Because I, I, I'm not putting down monasteries at all. Going to a monastery, sitting and practicing that intently day in, day out, it is a wonderful, powerful practice. So what do we do that can be equivalent to that? We emphasize, of course, practice out in the world. The Buddha never said, you cannot practice out in the world. He said, it's hard and dusty out there. Mm. And I'm going to read you something uh, by Master Kazon that's actually a much older, it's based on much older Chinese writing, in which he said there's two kinds of monks, okay? And when you hear his description of the second kind in the world monk, you'll realize that you even in those days they thought you can practice out in the world. You want to hear it? Sure, go ahead. Okay. 
I'm just going to go real, through, real quick through the, the first section, which is your traditional... Well, go ahead. What year was this? This Kazan is before Dogen, right? Uh, for, no, no, no. Kazan was a, a successor Dogen. to... Dogen was uh, 13th century, so we're talking about 14th century here. Okay. Old enough for you? Old enough? Yeah, old enough. But I just wanted to situate that with regard to Dogen. And and the the writing basically that Kazan is plagiarizing here goes back to China. Okay, Kazan took something and expanded on. So the first type is uh, you know your your monk that you think is a monk. He shaves his head. He leaves his home literally. He dons robes. Kazan says it doesn't matter you're male or female, but you're celibate. Uh, whatever you do, you dedicate yourself to your practice. That's the traditional monk. And, and Kazan honors that. But then he says this. This is very I- interesting. Those were the people who leave, leave home physically. But what of those who leave home in spirit do not shave their head or wear monks' clothing? Even though they live at home and remain among worldly cares, they are like lotuses which arise from the mud but which are not soiled. You get that image? Mm. The lotus is in the mud, but is not soiled by the mud of the world. It's nurtured, nourished by the mud of the world. This is the monk in the world, all right? Even though they live amongst karmic conditions, all the complexities of the world, so that they have wives and children. This this is the part where I think maybe Kazan's language was a, a little strong. We don't need this, he said. Even though they have wives and children, they consider them as being... Trash and dust. Okay, Kesa. Okay. Ooh, that's pretty harsh. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, Kesa. Okay, let's let's let, let's change that part. Even though they have wives and children, they consider them as jewels. I I just changed yeah. Kesa on there. He he was a little hard, but they still have the wives and children. Notice. Yeah. Okay. They still have the wives and children. That's the point. They do not entertain clinging love. Clinging. For even a moment, or covet, covet is excess desire, anything. He didn't say no desire. He didn't Mm -hmm. say they don't have love. He says they do not entertain clinging love. They live in the noisy city, yet they are tranquil, right? They realize the quieting of the passions, right? All this. And it goes on like this. You see, even in those days, he saw a way to live in the world and yet somehow be free in the heart. So we talk about Dogen a lot, but there's not much of Kazan's writing that's translated into English. I remember looking some time ago, there's, there was one book that's been out of print for a while. Why do we not know much about him? Well, there are a few pieces of Kazan, and there would be no Soto Zen without Kazan for a very good reason. Dogen was a very good guy, but, but I have to say, uh, with those crazy talks that nobody understood, he wasn't a great popularizer. Mm. All right? He wasn't Mr. P.R. Kazan took the other tack. Kazan also a wonderful teacher, but he said, we have to make this attractive to the masses. So he sent his monks out, and they did, you want an exorcism? I'll do an exorcism. You want your well purified? I'll purify your well. You need a, uh, you're, you're got a cold? I'll, I'll, I'll do a chant. It's better than a vaccine. I'll cure your cold. Whatever. They didn't have vaccines back there, but you get my point. Yeah. Uh, by the way, get your vaccines, everybody. Don't don't do chanting. Get a vaccine. Yeah, vaccines are important. But uh, uh, he, so through Kazan, Soto Zen 
thread spread far and wide, wide through Japan, which is why I don't have the exact number, but I believe that there's 150 Kazan-related temples to every one Dogen-related temple. Oh, okay. And yet we look at Dogen as the big kahuna because he wrote so much. Yeah. And yeah. we don't know much about Kazan. He wasn't the big promoter. If you don't, I hate to yeah. say it. If you don't have a big promoter, you wouldn't have Sotoshu as, as far and wide, which was also bad because they went too much into the, the exorcism and the magic spells and that kind of thing. And they kind of forgot Dogen for a long time. So, so the tree leaf training, does that include exorcism and magic spells? That'd be really cool if it did. Not at all. Oh, rats. And they will never will, because I'm not that kind of guy. I just uh, said uh, one of the things I did, speaking of vaccines, is I spoke up very highly for the scientific method, right? I'm not saying that exorcisms might be possible. I try to keep an open mind. Chanting might appease the spirits. Why not? I keep an open mind. But personally, I go to the doctor when I have sickness. I don't go to the priest. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, Roshi, where do we go from here? I don't know. Wait a second. I got to pick up my daughter here that I'm supposed to cook dinner and then vacuum the living room. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.